0: If you're using one of the church Bibles from the back, it's on page 282, 282, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and beginning to read at verse 1. It's good to remind ourselves, isn't it, this is the word of God. Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the the hill country of Bethel, and a 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin, the rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. And now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Mi'kmaq, east of Beth-Avon, when the Israelites saw the situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter, so he said, "'Bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings.' And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. "'What have you done?' asked Samuel. Saul replied, "'When I saw that the men were scattering "'and that you did not come at the set time,' and that Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600.
1: Thank you. Well, let's keep that open in front of us and... uh I'll pray for us as we continue to look at that together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account of what happened that day and around that time. And we pray, Father God, would you help us to understand that encounter? Would you help us to see how it relates to us? Would you help us to relate to you rightly? In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you ever have a time when something needs doing and it isn't really your job but it's not gonna get done otherwise so you you just think well I suppose I'm gonna have to do it myself maybe uh, there's a load of junk that's been dumped in a local park or something like that and, and nothing's being done about it and you're fed up of waiting you think well this is not really my job to do anything about it but If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. So you take it on yourself, maybe get a little team together and you get it cleared yourself. And you think, well, desperate times, call for desperate measures. It's not my job, but someone's got to do it. But having that sort of attitude isn't always a good idea, is it? If you had a loved one who needs surgery and the waiting list seems so long, you don't go and get your toolbox, do you? And think, well, it's time for a bit of DIY. If I don't do it, no one's going to do it. Now that sort of attitude of I guess I'll have to do it myself can land us in real trouble and that's what's happening in the bit of the Bible that Colin just read for us. Desperate times lead King Saul to take desperate measures and so he takes on a role that he's not qualified for, not authorized to do. We last looked at the book of 1 Samuel Early last year in our morning services, and we saw the birth and the rise of Samuel. And we followed that along up until he handed over power to the first ever king of Israel, King Saul. And uh, we're picking up that story now in our evening services, and we'll just be looking at Saul's reign uh, uh, until another king is raised up, King David. But as you can see from the the sermon title we've gone for, Saul's reign did not go well. We've gone for the disobedient king because it went wrong straight away. Saul's reign began in desperate times, desperate times. Now one of the reasons that the Israelites wanted a king was to help them defeat the Philistines. Throughout 1 Samuel so far, Philistines have been attacking, they've stole the Ark of the Covenant, they've made life a complete nightmare, and and God set Saul aside and said, this is the one who will deal with the Philistines, that's his top priority. And so verse 2 shows Saul setting up a standing army. So he picks 3,000 men, he splits them into two divisions, there are 2,000 of them with Saul in one place, 1,000 of them with his son Jonathan. And then we see in verse 3 that Jonathan spots an opportunity. There's a Philistine outpost nearby to where he's staying. So that's an enemy base in Israelite territory. And he thinks, well, we can take that. So he gathers his forces, they attack, and it seems that they actually win. They, They seem to do quite well. But now they've got another problem. They have very angry enemies very angry enemies the Philistines are not happy as you you wouldn't be they've just come and attacked your base so the message goes out across Israel have a look in verse 4 the news goes out Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines so the news is not we fought and won a battle hooray it's we've attacked this base and now we're really in trouble We have very angry enemies. Saul is the king, so he takes the credit for it, even though it was Jonathan who did it. But because he's the king, that also means he takes the blame for it. And he realizes this army he's just gathered is nowhere near enough. And so he's trying to rally everybody to join him again. Because look at what they're up against in verse 5 says, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. This has not gone the way they'd hoped, has it? This is sort of picking a fight with one little weakling only to have their whole massive family suddenly show up to pay you back. These people have got chariots. That's the ancient equivalent of a tank. And they've got as many tanks as Israel has soldiers. They are outmanned, outgunned against very angry enemies to whom they have become obnoxious. This is now personal. We we didn't like you before, but now you've done that, this is very personal. And that then leads to another crisis. Anxious soldiers. They say when the, the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, look how tough they are in verse 6. When the Israelites saw the situation was critical, that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. They see the situation they're in and they run away and they hide in any hole that they can find. Verse 7 says some people leave the country and the ones who are brave enough to stay... We're told in verse 7, all the troops were with him, were quaking with fear. And that's the brave ones who stayed. These really are desperate times, aren't they? There's sort of times when you need your best advisors there to help you. And that's exactly what Samuel no so what Saul, sorry, doesn't have. The final nail in the coffin, if you want, is is an absent Samuel. Samuel was, was God's spokesman, he was God's prophets. He was the one who'd anointed Saul and set him up as king and now that he's really needed he is nowhere to be seen. Verse 8 says that he Saul waited seven days the time set by Samuel but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So Samuel's not there he's not there to help Back in chapter 10, verse 8, I'm sure we've all forgotten about this, but back then, uh, Samuel had given clear instructions for a situation like this. He said, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So, Saul knows what he's supposed to do in this sort of situation and he goes and he waits for a week and still Samuel's absent. What's he supposed to do now? He's got these angry enemies, these anxious soldiers absent. Samuel, these are desperate times aren't they? Desperate, desperate times and it leads Saul to take desperate measures The situation he's in leads him to take desperate measures. This is that moment where Saul says, right, well, it looks like I'm going to have to do this myself, doesn't it? The Philistines are gearing up for battle. Most of my men are hiding in a ditch somewhere. Samuel's gone AWOL. It's down to me, I suppose, isn't it? And in verse 9, he says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Now there are at least two things wrong with what he's doing here. Firstly, he's ignoring the prophets. He's ignoring God's prophet. Samuel had been very clear, wait until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. But Saul presses on anyway. Yes, he waited seven days, but it seems like on day seven when Samuel wasn't there first thing, Saul gave up waiting. Now, if he'd just waited a little bit longer, Samuel would have arrived later that day, which happens in verse 10. He'd ignored God's instructions through the prophet to wait. And that's especially bad because what he was supposed to be waiting for was for the prophet to tell him what to do next. So he's got no idea really what to do, other than just wait to hear what to do, and he won't. He thinks he knows best. Now, we are not in this exact situation, are we? We are not surrounded by Philistine enemies. We are not uh, the king. (laughs) We are not receiving God's word by a prophet like Samuel. But we can fall, I think, into a similar temptation to, to rush ahead, to make decisions without consulting God, without considering what God says in his word, the Bible. Especially when times are tough, we can zoom on ahead in our own wisdom, we can rely on our own ideas and say, well, I don't really need to know what God says because I think I can work this out myself. We charge headlong into action without hearing from God's word on the matter. Whether that is through just generally neglecting to read God's word or hear it taught Or discussing it with others discussing our situation with other people who are going to point us to the Scriptures we might talk about it with others who just speak from their experience or with people who might just say things we'd like to hear but how often do we really truly turn to God and His Word when we are in this sort of nightmare situation Saul had a very very clear instruction And he ignored it again how easy it is for us to feel like desperate times call for desperate measures I know really this isn't the right thing to do but given my circumstances surely it's okay if I dot 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 well no ignoring what God's Word says is not okay and so Saul when he ignores the prophet that is not okay But there's more going on here. Saul also sinned by acting as priest. Saul here is acting as a priest. He himself offers up the burnt offering. He takes the lead. He sacrifices the animals. He offers them to God. And the problem is that's not his job. He was not qualified to do that. He was not authorized to do that. Again, the Lord is very, very clear. Not just anyone could approach him in that way. God is unspeakably holy, he's pure, he's righteous, he's unable to tolerate the presence of sin, the presence of any imperfection. And so sacrifices are required in order to deal with all that and only certain people can bring those sacrifices. Priests from the tribe of Levi, when anybody else attempts to do that, judgment comes in some form or other. Now as well as being a prophet, Samuel was also a priest. It was very rare to be both. Ezekiel was both, Zechariah was both, Samuel was both. I think that's about it. Maybe there were one or two others. Uh, So Samuel is a prophet and he's also a priest. He's been set apart by God as this sort of go-between. He's there as a mediator between the Lord and his sinful people. He's allowed to bring these sorts of sacrifices to God. That's what he would have been doing. uh, As we read earlier in 1 Samuel, that's what he was doing. Everybody would have known, I don't care if you're the king, I don't care who you are, only priests can do that. And in Saul's situation, the instruction was even clearer. Samuel had said, I will surely come to you to sacrifice the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait. So when Saul makes the sacrifice, he is acting way outside his job description. This is not just sort of taking it on yourself to do a bit of litter picking. You know, it's not really my job. This is even worse than having a go at at amateur surgery. This is instead thinking, I am okay as I am to just approach God. I don't need a priest. I don't need a special person. I'm the king. I can do that. But to do that is to downgrade God's perfection as if he's just any old person anyone can walk up to. It's to overestimate his own holiness, his own acceptability in and of himself to be able to stroll into God's presence without any help. Now we don't have priests anymore in this way do we and so we can read this story and think well what's the big deal I'm I'm not a priest nobody here is a priest (laughs) Uh, I approach God all the time (laughs) what's wrong with what with what Saul does here and I suppose that's, sometimes that could be sort of reading our modern new, new covenant situation back into the Old Testament and acting as if he could do, have all the benefits we've got when he didn't. And even we can't come to the Lord without a mediator. We don't need another person among us who we can see like a priest in the special robes in the special building doing the special things. We don't need that because we have Jesus. It's not that we have some uh, different kind of God to what Saul had. No, uh, we are able to approach God because we do have a priest. We don't need Samuel because we have Jesus. He's the one who has made the sacrifice so that we are able to have access to God whenever we like. We so take that for granted, don't we? We just take for granted that we can approach God whenever we want, in prayer, whenever we want, we can come into his presence. Without Jesus, we would be in Saul's position. We would be stuck in a desperate situation with no way to fix it ourselves. And so I think that the modern equivalent of sinning, like Saul did, would be to think, I don't need Jesus. I am okay as I am. I can just come to God like this. And sadly that is the hope of countless numbers of people who think that they can come to God without Jesus. That their own goodness is enough or that their own religious activity is going to sort it out. Even as Christians we can forget this. As I said we can take for granted the free access we now have as if we got there ourselves. As if even now the only reason we c- that, that, that we can come to God in our own name as opposed to coming in Jesus' name when it's always only possible because of Christ. King Saul was acting as a priest. He was ignoring God's prophet and, and that was a serious thing and it led to desperate consequences desperate, desperate consequences. We see right from the start of Saul's reign that it is not going to end well. Take a look at verse 10 and 11. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. It's typical, isn't it? You've just given up waiting and the person shows up and and Samuel confronts him and says, what have you done? He's not just saying, oh, what have I missed? He is saying, I can see what you've done. (laughs) What have you done? And out come all the excuses. And see how it's everybody's fault but his. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, well, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favour so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. He's saying, come on, Samuel, desperate times. He called for desperate measures. Surely I had all these terrible situations, the enemies and the soldiers, and you weren't here. What was I supposed to do? Just wait? Yes. (laughs) Yes, that was what you were supposed to do. You knew exactly what you were supposed to do. Now, we can sympathize with Saul, can't we? It was a nightmare situation, and and you can see in a way he's right to want to seek God's favour, but the, de- the ends don't always justify the means. We can always explain why we sinned as if that excuses it. But in a sense, uh, Samuel's coming here to say, look, sin is sin. Not, uh, the circumstances don't really change that. Even saw strong convictions. He says, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering oh well if you felt compelled if you felt very strongly about it that's fine well no there are times when it seems like the only thing to do it seems like the right thing to do even though we know it's not sin is sin and it has desperate consequences verse 13 says you have done a foolish thing In Hebrew, that's one word. It's as if if he comes out and just goes, what have you done? He says what he's done and he just goes, stupid. Stupid. That was so, so stupid what you just did. If you just waited. If you just done what you knew was the right thing to do. And now there are going to be consequences, one of which is that he's going to be replaced. From halfway through verse 13. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul's disobedience means he's going to be replaced as king. If he'd been faithful, it's just tragic, isn't it? If you had, if he had been faithful, this is saying God would have set up his family as an everlasting dynasty. There will always be a king in your line on the throne, but no, he's going to be replaced. In fact, God has already chosen a new king, one who follows God's ways, one who is a man after God's own heart. Because that is what God wants. That's what God wants from a king. That's what God wants from us. For us to be people after his own heart. People who love what he loves. People who hate what he hates. People who do what he says. But because of his disobedience, Saul will eventually be replaced by David. And it will be David's family who have a throne forever. That isn't going to happen immediately. Uh, I suppose the the spoiler is that's where this series ends, is where actually God says to Saul, not just your family line is going to be replaced, but you are being replaced right now. It is going to happen though. He's going to be replaced. And then we get the second of the the desperate consequences. Saul is abandoned. Verse 15 is, is a really terrible ending. So then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him they numbered about 600 he's left there just abandoned he's left on his own just a handful of soldiers none of whom have weapons as we're going to find out next week but even worse than that situation Saul is left without Samuel it is as if Samuel turns up and you think he's gonna go oh thank goodness you're here fantastic come and sort this out but but Samuel instead says well you you ignored me God's prophets. Apparently, you don't need God to speak to you anymore. You, you replaced me as a priest. Apparently, you think you can just go on your own, so I'll leave you to it. And that's exactly what he does. He goes. What a terrible judgment that is to have no guidance from God's Word, no access to God's presence. He's abandoned. And that is the consequence ultimately of sin, of God leaving us to our own devices. There are consequences here being removed. Consequences of being left to our own devices. Now this is a dreadful, dreadful start, isn't it, to Saul's reign. This is not getting off on the right foot. Not only does the attack on the Philistine outpost have far bigger repercussions than he could have expected but his sinful reaction is what makes it worse. That problem of attacking them and having it all flare up in his face could easily be dealt with by God if only he had been faithful. We're finding out here that picking a fight with the Philistines is much less serious than picking a fight with God. Do we see how at the end of the story, the consequences at the end, that is a far more desperate situation, isn't it, than the crisis at the start? And we're left with this challenge, I think, that sin is never worth it. That desperate times do not call for desperate measures of disobedience. When we face trouble in life, all the stresses, all the difficulties, in a sense... Those are not our real problems. They're just sort of the the context in which the real issue is going to play out. Which is, are we going to listen and obey? Are we going to be faithful to our faithful God? Or are we going to sin and make excuses? I find this whole story just makes me cry out for the Lord Jesus. For someone to come and bring forgiveness to bring hope to bring help in this situation don't we need a king who's going to obey perfectly who is always going to do what's right as we go through these things we've got the very first king of Israel completely going off the rails and there will be many many kings after him and as we read through one Samuel two Samuel and, and kings and all that stuff we should time and again be seeing each of these kings bailing In the way that Jesus does not fail and only Jesus doesn't. He is the one whose perfect obedience means Jesus can be king forever. His sin means he can't be Saul. But because Jesus is perfect, he can be king forever. Saul was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was only a king, if you could say only a king. Saul needed to stay in his lane But Jesus is a king and a priest and a prophet all rolled into one. Jesus is the one we need, isn't he? He, He's ultimately the man after God's own heart who's going to rule his people, who's going to speak to his people, who's going to seek favor for his people perfectly. So, when we're in a similar situation to Saul, there's no need for us to do what Saul did. There's no need for us to just take it all on our own back to try and sort everything out ourselves. Because no matter how desperate the situation is, we have a prophet, a priest, a king in the Lord Jesus who can represent us before God, who can lead us perfectly who can be the one, if we just listen to him and trust in him, we can be safe. We're going to have a time to discuss in, in a few minutes to sort of think through a little bit more how this works for us, but in, in the meantime, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for telling us this story, this warning of the seriousness of, uh, of ignoring what you've said and ploughing on in our own way, we thank you so much uh, that we are in a different situation to Saul, but we, we pray that you would help us to follow you, to listen to the Lord Jesus, to trust in him and all that he's done for us, instead of trusting in ourselves, our own wisdom, our own abilities. Lord, we pray that our lives would Look far more like that than like Saul's in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.